Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today I have with me an amazing guest. Her name is Ashley Michelle. Before I go any further, I'm going to do something different in this episode because we've been doing this similar just, oh, this is the guest. Who is she? We're going to flip this around. Ashley Michelle, before I ask you who you are, I would like to know what your mission statement is before we find out who you are. What is your... Is to inspire as many people as I possibly can. All right. Now let's jump into who are you? Um, I am a survivor of crime, a witness of crime for that matter. And I'm all about helping other people get through their trauma and get to the healing process. Um, I'm someone that has literally turned pain into strength um, because I believe that my trauma, my story can be a teaching lesson and a teaching tool for somebody else. Okay, so um, going into detail, because I know that you get, uh, have things going on with you that uh, will inspire people, and we'll get into that in just a moment, but uh, could you go into a brief detail of what happened, just a little bit, to, to let people know why they should be inspired by you? Well, I'm going to be honest, it didn't just start in 2016. So okay. I had to really dive into my childhood if I really wanted to heal my trauma properly. And so my trauma actually started when I was little, essentially, like hearing my parents like argue back and forth. I, I don't talk to either one of them um, anymore currently. Um, so then I got into toxic relationships myself. Um, my first boyfriend ever was in college. That was abusive. That was levels and then I was assaulted on a trail in broad daylight in 2016 and then a couple of weeks after that had happened um I was then a witness to um a murder essentially oh wow so that's really that's really tough there now let's go back to the childhood real quick um yeah. all right so back to the childhood this saying that we always hear and, and I've noticed this more as I've become an adult a lot of people grow up in just a house and not a home love is missing from yeah. the middle because we have these aesthetics that that can make people think that everything's hunky-dory and fine so yeah. is that kind of in case what happened to you yeah like you know what my grandparents were incredible you know they were a great influence but my biological parents their marriage was very toxic uh there was a lot of like yelling not so much physical but a lot of anger on his part so he punched a hole through a door um he slapped me across the head and called me effing stupid um so those are things that you know you, you carry around with you and you really have to do a deep dive when you start counseling like you have to go back all the way to the beginning of your trauma because if you only cover half of it you're only healing half of yourself you want to be able to heal the full you in order to get to where you need to be. Right. And the thing is, is that some people don't pay attention to certain things that are subtle because we all grow up and you see people, you know, you go to public stores, Kmart's, Walmart's at that time and age. Um, and even like the little struggle of an arm pull, like if your mom pulls your arm back or your dad pulls your, your mom's arm or something, or even just the tone or the look, because inside your house, you see these things. And, and like you said, if you don't go back to the very beginning, like you said, um, that if you don't heal that part, then you don't heal at all. And you got to start from the beginning. So after you got to the beginning, you started identifying what those issues were. Um, 
it seems like you developed a little bit of resentment for your parents. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I did. I mean, it was just, you know, like, it wasn't the worst thing ever. Like, it wasn't, I feel like my biological father was more abusive mentally and verbally, and he, it was physical the one time where he thought that he shot the head absolutely. Um, I, I would say that I have some resentment towards the way that they were, because I, I don't ever believe that you bring your children and involve them in adult issues. That's just something that I am completely and utterly against. Um, like if I had stepchildren, say, I wouldn't yell and, and scream in front of them. I, I just, or no matter who the children were in my life, like if I'm a nanny, for instance. So like, I wouldn't yell and scream in, in front of them, you know what I mean? Like, there's just certain things that you just, you don't see because those things stay with a child forever, right? And it gets to their, it gets to their brain and they start thinking, okay, this is normal. This is what I deserve. This is what a relationship looks like, right? And then they see what they know, right? And they go into toxic relationships and it becomes this cycle again and again. Okay. And then, so you go through that, you get through your teenage years, and your teenagers are our volatile years. That's the... Oh, my teenage years were awful. I was bullied so badly. Um, when my grandfather died, I actually went into um, a bit of bulimia. Whoa. Yeah. So in, in those years, like like you just said, you explained what had happened to you. Those were the most impressionable years because you go back on those, those childhood memories, and that's what fosters the relationships. Because, you know, around seventh, eighth, ninth grade, that's when um, and it doesn't matter what your persuasion is, boy on boy, girl on girl, we or whatever. Um, we all develop that close knit relationship with one person or two or three or four people. And from there, those toxic traits, like you said, that we endured come out and they come out real subtly. And then once you get 18, 19, if you're going to college or you're going into the workforce, you've started to get a set way of doing things and you feel that, like you said, that that's all right. So what happened to you around 18 and 19? What, what happened around that, that age group? Uh, I was at 18 years and well, 19 years old, I was living with my first boyfriend ever. And he's the one that was like abusive and, and toxic. And uh, cause I left home, like I was 18, right? Like I went to school and uh, yeah, like I was essentially on my own and because I was so sheltered too, like I didn't go to my high school prom party, like graduation party, like I didn't partake in any of that stuff. Like I was student council, I was honor roll in high school. I was that goody two twos. So college came and all, I had all this sudden freedom. So I was partying every night. Like I was acting real reckless, I'll be honest with you. And um, then I, you know, met somebody and I didn't know what I was getting myself into, moved in with them a year later and that was just awful he ended up cheating on me and that's how I walked away but there was definitely abuse mentally emotionally um, all of that so that played a toll again my self-confidence my self-esteem all went downhill and I, I did get into counseling in college as well for a little bit there um, but that was it okay and then you come up with five strengths through tragedy how did this, how did you come up with all of this and how did this come about? Because I know, like, I'll give an example. You know, 
I do a podcast because I like to hear different people's stories and I want to enlighten people that it's all right to have uh, issues. It's all right to have mental things happen to you because people don't speak about these things. They just closet no, it and carry not. it around. And, pe- and, people I, make- and, I, and I do understand that people want to be silent about some things, but I, I don't share my story to seek out attention or anything like that. What happened to me is a worldwide epidemic. So I was a witness murder in August 28, 2016. My ex had murdered one of his best friends and tried to kill me in the process, uh, showed me the body of the deceased, sexually assaulted me, strangled me, um, threw sponges at me, wanted me to clean up the murder scene. It was horrific. And what got to me the most was after two hours of being in that apartment, and like, let me tell you something else that I've learned. And I, I guess I kind of learned this from watching crime shows as messed up as this sounds. I had to be cool, calm, and collected in that apartment. Because if I showed fear, that would have gotten me killed. Yes. I mean, because that's something so, straight out of law and order. Like. Yes. Yes, exactly. So um, when I went to the police station, so I ran across the street to um, a variety store called 911. And then the police showed up and they told me I could leave at any point, but I didn't want to. I wanted obviously justice to be served. Um, So the police sat me down and before they even asked me a question, this is what got to me the most. And I think that this is where finding strength and tragedy really comes into play. So I had an amazing team of detectives and they sat me down and said, I need you to make us a promise. And I said, what is that? And they said, please promise us you won't turn to the streets for drugs, prostitution, et cetera. When they said that to me, that opened my mind up huge. I thought like, if this is the first thing that they have to say to people when they come in, that just tells you the statistics for survivors of crime, how many of them actually end up turning to the streets. And that just didn't sit well with me at all. Right, because that, I mean, you tell me that like, that makes no sense for them to say that to you. They should, I would have pointed, if I'm a cop and you witnessed a murder, and you were, I'm not saying you were involved, but you clean, they, the person that murdered someone had you cleaning up the murder scene. I would have to ask that you go get mentally evaluated, go talk to some counselor and get someone to help you. I wouldn't say, if, I wouldn't tell you not to turn, to not turn to the streets for drugs or anything or like that, because your mindset wouldn't even put you over there. You would, would, you know what I I think that it would put you there like because there's so many young girls who go through this and don't have their brains fully developed so they're very weak to you know being misled and end up turning to the streets like I was 24 when this happened to me but could you imagine a naive 15 year old that their brains haven't even began to develop yet and they get that peer pressure from somebody because they're so sad and depressed and they meet the wrong person and they fall into the wrong trap. Okay, I can I, see it that way. I think it's, I'm glad the police said that because that that opened my mind huge. And yes, they got me counseling and all that stuff right away, but it's the fact that they have to say that to you. That just tells you the statistics for people. Like when I see somebody now stick a needle in their arm, I don't ask myself, why not? I asked myself, why? What what led them to that? Because you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to put a needle in my arm. There's a reason why they chose that direction. 
So now I, I feel like I'm so much more aware that I'm not just sitting there and pointing fingers and pointing blame and saying, well, that person's a druggie. No, there, there's a reason behind that behavior. What the police said to me has given me so much insight into why people do what they do. Okay, so like it, it gave you a better way of advocating for them because uh, you, took, you took more empathy into the person besides like the drug or whatever the addiction or habits form from that. Okay, yeah, so... So from that, um, what made you decide that you want to formulate and help people? Because a lot, a lot of times, you know, when someone has a, a, a traumatic event, some people help, but a lot of people just go into that shell. Why didn't you go inside a shell? What happened to make you want to help people? It was that. It was what the police said to me, that okay. you want to help people. I couldn't, like, that didn't sit right with me, that so many survivors and witnesses end up turning to the some people don't have the mental health professional they can't either afford it or they get cut off and so that didn't sit well with me either and that's why some proceeds of my book go to survivors of crime so they use some of my money for instance to help purchase a service dog for witnesses and survivors of crime because what if all they need is that one last session of counseling before they attempt to take their own life that's why i wrote this book those, that proceeds, that $10, $15 could help them get to where they need to be. Okay. Now, inside this uh, traumatic event that happened to you, uh, we'll go to the assault first. The assault yeah. that happened to you, what was the initial feeling afterwards? Oh, it was, it was horrific. Uh, so they, before the police did make that promise, there was an ambulance driver that came by and, and he assessed me. And he said, like, as soon as you can, I suggest that you go to the hospital and get checked out. He's like, I don't see any significant damage, but he's like, again, I'm not a specialist in that area. So I did go to the hospital. I had a camera stuck up my nose. It took them like three times before they could get it up there. Um, they did see some swelling and stuff like that. So they gave me T4 for the pain. Um, because all my blood vessels were like swollen and stuff like that from being strangled. Mm. Um, so yeah, that that was horrific. And you know, the nurses too, like they were great at the hospital, but it was it was awful because they asked me like why I was there. And I'm like, how like thank God a friend came with me. Thank God it was before COVID where they actually let somebody in with you. Yes. Um but she did a lot of the explaining for it because I couldn't even answer why. Like I, that it was so difficult going into the hospital and explaining what they did to me. Okay. Now you get to write in your book and your book is to help others and it's self-care for yourself. Was there any point inside of writing this book that you had to just stop and the tears just rolled down and you had to just move away from it for a few days or anything like that? Uh, I, the tears definitely rolled down my face at some point writing this. Um, but no, I never stopped. I never taken a break because I, I knew it, it sounds so crazy, but I knew what I wanted in this book. I knew what I wanted to say in this book. Like I talk about the definition of strength on the first chapter and then I talk about like the court process 
because you know people misjudge that as well and again if you've never been in this situation you're not going to understand it but people think you know once the court process is over well this is all done no that's not the case as soon as the court process is done so there's the pre-hearing and then there's the trial like six weeks before the trial even happened i was going in the courthouse a couple of times every week to go over my statements, to go over my 911 call, to listen to everything again. So once again, you're kind of being re-traumatized, but I never thought of myself that way. I thought, you know what, this is this is for justice. This is for justification. Um, but like a 15-year-old, that could be a bit overwhelming and a bit much for them. And like it's a process, like it's a healing, like this is where you really need to dive into counseling. You really that self-care is vital. And then as soon as the court process is done with, then you have the victim impact statement. Then as soon as that's done with, you have to retell your story to the parole board and fill out paperwork with them now. Like this stuff it is constant. It's it's not going away. Like I have a life sentence. The deceased's family has a life sentence. Like this is my forever right now. Okay, and it never goes away because when that person uh is that for parole or for something like that? Um, it just kind of. Yeah, you, know. you have to give your victim impact statement again. Like you have to show up there. Like, oh yeah, like it's it's an ongoing process. Like I get parole packages now from the parole board, you know, explaining what's going on and, and the process and everything like that. Like he's not up for parole until like 2030, but still. Yeah, you know, like, yeah it's. You could be having a perfect day, and then all of a sudden, boom, you get that parole package at your door. Right, and the thing that you have to worry with now is in 2030, you know, not saying this in any way, and I'm not trying to trigger you, you've got to figure out where you're going to be and what you're going to do when this person's released. And that has to be a hard... It is definitely something that I think about, oh yeah. But do I, like, would I change my name and all that? No, I'm not going to run from, from somebody, you know what I mean? Like, why am I going to change my life? any more than it has already been affected. I'm not going to give that person the upper hand. I'm not. You know, all I can do is do the best to protect myself, whatever that may look like. You know, mm-hmm. I had police come to my house, for instance, and they did a safety inspection and all of that. Um, so there are different methods to go and find that comfort zone for yourself. Okay. Now, you write your book. Uh, you are obviously talk to people. You're counseling. You're helping others uh, through these traumas. And yeah. this and this is the hard question I ask because when you deal like because we're all uh, we're all um, unpaid therapists for someone. I don't care what you are. Like we're all unpaid therapists for someone. When you take someone else's mental anguish and you channel it or bottle it up or manufacture some way to help them. There's an issue of despair within yourself. So what do you do to keep yourself uh, or keep your glass full to help others? Me personally. It's all all about self-care. If you're not taking care of yourself, then how can you help other people? I'm a big believer and a firm believer in that. So for me, my self-care is going to the gym. That's what I do for me. And, And that helps me in more ways than one. That helps me on a mental note that helps me on a physical note that helps me on an emotional note um and I think too like it's just being again 
that relatable teaching tool for somebody else. And like a lot of times when somebody reaches out to me, rather it's like mental health patients, domestic violence, whatever the case may be, I can relate to how they're feeling, what they're thinking and what they're going through. Um, it's like, I, I don't know, like I don't, I don't sit there and let it manifest or bottle up in me. I just sit there and think about different ways and different solutions that I can be a support and an advocate for them. Um, you know, I share my story with them. Um, you know, I, I try to think about myself and their shoes and what are some of the things that can benefit them and, and help them. Um, I just try to lead by example. Okay, okay. Now, you're going along, uh, you have a YouTube channel that I would like yes. to talk about for a moment. Could you please let the audience uh, know exactly where they can find your uh, YouTube channel and where they can reach you on social media and where they can buy your book? That's a, yeah. we, do, we do a little shameless plug, and I forgot to get you to do that in the middle of the Perfect. show. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's Ashley Inspires um, for the YouTube channel. It's AshleyInspires.com for my book as well. And there's blogs, too, that I post. I try to post them on a weekly basis. Um, so there's blogs on, like, anxiety, PTSD, depression, um, relationships, self-care, um, a life sentence. Um, so there's blogs that talk about almost everything. Um, warning signs, red flags, um, sexual emotional abuse, all the way from physical abuse, domestic violence, warning signs, um, et cetera. Okay. Now, inside the show, I like to pay homage to um, a news magazine called 2020. It used to come on, it comes on ABC, and they're a little bit more in-depth questions. They uh, make you a little bit more personable to the audience, even though everything you told us made you personable. Uh, these questions I ask, because they're kind of, they're not hard-hitting, but they give a little bit more uh, about the person. So, what I've assessed from me talking to you, and we had a, like a two-minute pre-call earlier, um, one thing that was missing in your life. Um, it seems like there wasn't a clear opening of communication at the early age. And that communication um, was that there wasn't, there wasn't any clarity with emotions from your father to you. He, it just seems like there was a lot of anger, if I'm correct. Is, is that right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of hostility. So if you could talk to him in a good method today, what would be the statement that you would give to him about what he did to your childhood? At this point in time, like, I don't think that that matters anymore, as, as messed up as that sounds. Like, I've kind of, like, I'm a firm believer now with eyes wide open that I have restructured my life so much that I've kind of put away the toxic people. And, you know, I, I no longer open that um it's like if he reached out to me today I, I wouldn't take that call um which has happened um but I kind of have a new definition and, and my family is not solely based on blood it's, it's who I knew to be it's the people that showed up every day in that child for me and were there left right and center for me um it's the people too that have supported me 
through this journey and have been incredible encouragers. Um, you know, I have my aunt, I have my grandma, and I have my cousins as blood family, and the rest is just what I've been able to see. Okay, so you actively got closure. You, yeah, you're, you're settled. I I, you know what? I think counseling did that for me. I really do. I think counseling is, is what, like, you know, we talk about this closet and we talk about this box. And we talk about the things that I want to put away in that box. And that was one of them. Okay. And I like that because right there, you, that's probably the, one of the gems inside this episode because emotional closure, closure in general, because we can put, 30 different titles or adjectives on closure and we can make closure out of it. I'm, I'm really astounded that you said that because that's going to help somebody even more because some people don't know how to put closure on things. And I'm starting to wonder if I don't put closure on certain things. Yeah. Closure doesn't mean that you have to verbally talk to somebody, you know, you could even write a journal entry and write your thoughts and feelings down on paper and then like put that paper away and, and close that chapter yourself. Like you don't have to keep everything bottled in, but either, you know, write it down or put it away in, in that container and, and shut that door, you know, because it's not, I, I could say all the words that I want to any single toxic person, but where's that going to get me? It's wasting your energy, right? It's a law of attraction. You, what, it's what you put out there, right? Yes. Okay. Now, let's go a little bit deeper here. So you've got the book out, you've got your YouTube series, you're out here helping people. Um, what is a typical time? And like you said, you go to the gym and work out. And that's cool because that lets out lots of things. Yes, but, it does. But what happens when you're out of the gym? You make it back home. And, you, you know, we all have, I always say, like, we have 15 minutes of reflection, no matter how you use it. It may not be all 15 minutes at one time. But what's that reflection period like for you? after your day's done, after you've done all the compelling things that you do in the world, what's that 15 minutes like for you? I feel grateful. I feel gratitude. I feel, you know, supported. I feel inspiration. I feel guidance. Um, I feel, you know, perseverance. I feel strength. I feel courage. I, I just feel so many incredible things like this is the biggest blessing of all is being able to help other people and inspire other people like if I left this world tomorrow and one person said you know what she really inspired me then I did what I set out to do in this life and I would be completely content with that okay all right so now we're gonna do a little quick role playing now we're both on the east coast um so and we everybody's traveled from at least Boston to Florida or around different places so one thing in life as uh, a public entity, like you are, like I am, the TED Talk. TED Talk is something that should be everybody's dream because it's the, the biggest inspiration. So your first TED Talk that should be given, and we, like I said, role play with me real quick, would be in New York City. It could be at any facility you want. Uh, let's see. Uh, Madison Square Garden. You're about oh. to get, uh, we'll just roll, roll, roll with that. The microphone, everything's right. The keystone up at the top has information about you. It's rolling across in Times Square so that we can advertise for your show. What does that advertisement say about you? It says that my only goal would to, 
inspire somebody else and have them look at me and say, because of you, I didn't get that. Okay. All right, so your TED Talk goes pretty well. You end up in Washington, D.C. That's pretty much the grand stage on the East Coast because everybody pays attention to Washington, D.C. You're about to give your speech. This is the second time you're out doing a TED Talk. What would be the first sentence, your most impactful statement that you would say to this crowd of 100,000 or 200,000 people? I believe in turning pain into strength. Okay. So you do good with that. You get good reviews. Now you move on to Charlotte, North Carolina, because that's a midway point. That's the mid-Atlantic for a lot of people. You're in Charlotte. Uh, We know how the speech is going to go. You get to the very end of your show. um, And you see and Ashley in the audience, you see, you because you you know, like, because in empathic ways, you see people and you know what type of people gravitate to you because they are your people. We're all everyone's people, but but you know what I mean when I'm saying that. So you yeah. see, uh, you see your reflection in the audience. Okay. You got time, and you get to you get security. Bring this person to the back to talk to you. What do you tell that person? Okay, now from the success of this TED Talk, you get you a deal to go to every Barnes and Noble across the U.S. Uh, and it doesn't matter what direction you go in or where you go, you're you're setting up your press conference for this because you know TED Talks do lead to different things. So at this place, you're at the Barnes and Noble that's local to you, and your friends, family, everybody's there. Or just the, and when I say friends and family, your friends can be your family, and family may not, like you said earlier, be. Uh, even friends. So you're there. What is the impact statement that you give these people about you touring with your book and signing autographs and just being very uh, informative and insightful to people? What, what's that statement that you're giving right then and there? That I believe that my story can be a teaching lesson and a teaching tool for somebody else. Um, I share this story so that way it can not only inspire but change as many lives and impact as many lives as possible because I never want somebody to feel that they're alone going through this horrific trauma. I believe that you should come together in a trauma and you should be building each other up and supporting people and I don't believe in the word victims whatsoever. I believe I've never once thought of myself as a victim. I think that anyone that has gone through horrific trauma is a warrior, a survivor. They are courageous, they are brave. I think that we need to start using positive terminology and I think that that's something that I would definitely discuss in front of those groups of people or millions of people for that matter. I think it's important that we really change our terminology around um, because words hurt and you know people are so quick to judge and and point fingers like there's been people that say oh you didn't see this coming no we don't see things like this coming look at the chris watts story for instance do you think shannon watts heard his wife and two beautiful daughters saw that their dad was going to kill them and his pregnant wife 
no, nobody sees that coming. You know, we want to see the best in the people we love. And I really think engaging and talking to people about not being so darn judgmental. Or, you know, like people have this assumption too, is that every time somebody posts a picture on social media and they smile, that they're the happiest, go lucky people. But what's really behind that smile? And I'm not saying everyone is sad and depressed, but, you know, people look at me and they're like, oh, you're so bubbly, you're so outgoing, you're so friendly. All things like that would never happen to you. But trauma doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor. It doesn't matter what your race is, your gender is. Trauma doesn't care. Trauma happens to anybody at any age. Okay, and that's powerful. I like that. So that will be your press conference. Now we're getting towards the end of the show. And one thing I like to do uh, is give you a little testimonial about yourself because I've gotten to know you through this uh, talk that we had. Um, actually, I want to say this to you. Uh, it is very hard in the world to be an advocate for mental health because uh, we put stigma and taboos on it. So I want to thank you for uh, stepping out your shell, sharing your experiences because your experiences, uh, people will detail with multiple adjectives and stuff like this. And a lot of people would just self-soak. They would not want to help anyone else they would just uh just stay in a stay as a hermit inside their own feelings and uh live their life and maybe stay sheltered or stay away from even any type of human interaction afterwards because you know in this day and age you don't have to even go outside anymore to get everything you need um and you can work from home so that's amazing that you're allowing yourself to be out there and to be open with people and to share this experience multiple times because like you said uh such traumatic events, you know, people are going to put extra adjectives. And, when, and I say it like that as extra adjectives because no one, like you said earlier, no one truly will ever know your experience. But someone that has similarities to what has happened can relate. And people that don't re can't relate to the experience can relate to the emotion. Because emotion is one thing that is still clear and defined no matter how we get the emotion or how it happens. It's, it's the same emotion, despair, being distraught, those things. They can have extra inches and miles to them, but it still falls in the same category. And that's one thing I want to like thank you for for generalizing. Generalizing is a hard thing to do because you have to not be selfish about what happened to you. You have to, like you said about the the person with the needle and stuff like that. Generalization is the hardest thing as a human being to do. We can rationalize all day, which I can rationalize with anyone. I can be like, hey, this happened, blah 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 blah. But to generalize it and say that let's put this all together, not in the capsule or anything, but to actually sit there and say, hey, we got hurt, this happened, let's heal. That's hard to do. Even though it sounds simple as riding a bike, it's not that simple. No. Because so many barriers get put up. So I want to thank you for that, and I want to thank you for not putting up barriers. So in this life, I would like you to do this if you can, and if you will. Um, keep a bright smile to what you do and keep advocating because like you said, that one person or the 10 million people that you may help impacting a life is something that has no reward, has no gratification to it. It's just human nature. That's something that we should all strive for and you're striving for that. And that's a lost art in human nature. So on that, that's your testimony right there. And I really thank you so much for coming on the show. So the last thing I'd like to do is could you give a shout out to any and everyone that you would like to, 
that has helped you along the way, molded you or shaped you along the way? Because sometimes we don't give people their flowers while they're here. And sometimes they're gone and we don't give them their flowers. So it's your turn. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my boyfriend, he's he's huge, um, very important in this. Like it's it's been, you know, challenging at times to reopen myself up to somebody else. But he is very supportive. Like I'm launching a course too. Um, and it's from trauma to amazing relationships. And he has been so supportive in that. Um, Sunil Gotts, he is the one that's behind my book and everything. Um, so him and his team have helped me immensely. And then my aunt, my grandma, my cousins have all been, you know, instrumental in this as well. Um, you know, I read blogs to them, I send them videos, vice versa. Um, Helen, who is no longer with me, passed away of cancer and she was incredible in my life her and I went over my book so many times um, back and forth reading it reviewing it um, so you know it's because of her that she's inspired me and uplifted me and there are all the people that came to the trial and supported me I, I won't name them all but they were all they gave up their lives to be no amount of thank you no amount of presence that could ever show my appreciation um, for them and to them um the deceased's family has been an incredible inspiration has been so supportive in everything that i wanted to do because you know if the deceased was here today and roles were reversed he'd be sitting here talking to you um he was the same way as myself he gives a shirt off his back for anybody and you know I'm all about helping people and giving back in a, in a positive way um, to the best of my abilities because I, I truly believe that, you know, sharing your trauma and sharing your story is not only a part of your own healing, but it could be a part of somebody else's healing. I want people to look at my journey and say, well, if she can get through this, so can I. Um, so everybody has just been incredible support in my life and I am truly blessed and I'm truly grateful for everybody that I have in my life they all have such a special place in my heart and I wouldn't be where I am today without any of them so they are all incredible and I just have so much gratitude towards each and every individual in my life I am truly truly blessed you know I may not have all the money in the world but I have all the people in the world that I need and I think money doesn't by the people you know you you make your family what you want it to be and no amount of money uh in the world could put a price tag on what i have like i have something that money can't buy and it is something so precious okay because like i said wealth is always assumed in different methods wealth does not have to be monetary not at all i, I wholeheartedly agree with that and in saying that this is the end of west virginia and commonplace i've had ashley michelle with me and audience, please remember, check in the show notes. There will be all links to everything that actually inspires. And uh, on that note, uh, just remember the newsletters go out. Uh, hit over to www.wvuncommonplace.com and you will be able to find more information out on Ashley Inspires. And um, I'll have all that stuff up very soon. Um, look out for her YouTube channel, uh, every venture that she has going on. And on that note, this is JR, and I am signing off.